Okay. Last time, Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> All right. So I am so excited about the message that we have today. Um, Brad, Brian, and I have been working on the Un-series, and it is a 10-sermon series, um, different unwords, right? So we started with unoffendable. Last week, Brian did unwavering, and today we're doing unqualified. And so I want to start today with going through a few statements. You just don't have enough experience. You just don't have what it takes. Ultimately, you're just not qualified. And you never heard anything like that? Even if you've never heard these specific words, there is something in each of us that dreads hearing things like this because it is rejection. And who likes rejection? Anyone? Not me. <laughs> we have some comedians in the back. Uh, I know I don't. So when I want, so today I want to talk about being qualified versus, be, so being qualified in the worldly sense versus being qualified by God's standards. Because being qualified in the worldly sense has very little weight when it comes to God calling people to fulfill a purpose. For example, it makes sense that a neurosurgeon is qualified and has the skills necessary to perform his job. And I'll use Brad as an example. <laughs> Brad is scheduled for spine surgery in less than two weeks. And I'm sure his heart just dropped just hearing that and making that realization. Yeah, I've lost Brad for the rest of the message. So it is important that in situations like that, having your spine cut open, allowing someone to place their hands in various instruments within your open flesh. Y'all watch him making sure his head doesn't get hit when he falls down. It is important that the person in this scenario be qualified, right? So I want to go back to the previous statements from the beginning, but first I want to make sure that we understand three things. You are not here by accident. You were created by a God that loves you and has created you for a specific purpose that only you can fulfill. Now for the skeptics in the room, me, I'm the skeptic, how do we know this to be true? In Psalm 139, the scripture reading we went through earlier, David, someone we'll get to shortly, expresses his awe and wonder at God's hand in his own creation. He acknowledges God's sovereignty and control over his life. He acknowledges that God intimately created and cares for both his physical and spiritual being. Does God only care about David? Paul, another person we'll get into in a moment, wrote his letter to the Ephesian church, emphasizing that believers are not only saved for salvation's sake, but also for a purpose. Ephesians 2.10 for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which is God prepared in advance for us to do. He prepared in advance. Did God only prepare in advance for the Ephesian church? In the book of Jeremiah, God has called Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations. God tells Jeremiah that he knew him before he even formed him in the womb. And that he was meant to fulfill a specific purpose. Jeremiah 1.5 
Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I anointed you as a prophet to the nations. Did God only set Jeremiah apart? Now I'll tell you, as your fellow skeptic, it is so easy to look at the various examples given in scripture and say, but that was them. See, we're almost conditioned to believe that because their names are in the Bible and ours aren't, that they're somehow on another level. And I'm not discrediting the ancestors of our faith, but an honest look at their story should prove that God has no problem working through flawed, broken individuals just like you and me. So when we read about the various people that God used and worked through, we should look at their stories as examples. Their stories are not the goal, but an example of what it could look like to fill the calling that God has placed on each of our lives. God does not expect you to go into a lion den, a lion's den, but Daniel's story is an example of what it looks like to trust God in the scariest of situations. And we've always Likewise, God does not expect us to drive a tent peg in the skull of Israel's enemy, but Yael's actions in Judges 4 serves as an example of how following God often requires us to step out of our comfort zone and take courageous actions for his glory. So when we understand all of that, we can trust that even though the Bible was not written to us, it was absolutely written for us. The Bible reveals God's character and nature. It gives us guidance and wisdom on how to live our lives. It reveals the nature of humanity, be it both our propensity for sin and to be sinned against, as well as our potential to be used for his glory. As to our Messiah and the salvation he offers, proving the message of the gospel is as relevant and as important today as it was for the people originally written to and about. So what are we going to do with that information? If we know that God did not create us on accident, that means that we are here for a purpose. You are here for a purpose. When God creates, he creates for a purpose. Since the beginning, he's created for a purpose, and he hasn't stopped creating today. He created each of you for a purpose, and no one can tell you that you are not qualified for the purpose he created you for unless you give them that power. So, you just don't have enough experience. I'm concerned you don't have what it takes. You're just not qualified. These are things that are just not true when it comes to you being the person God created you to be, walking in the calling he placed, you, placed on your life. These are lies from the enemy. But I've never been a great speaker. How can I lead the people if I can't even speak correctly? But I've never had any children. How can I become the father of a great nation? But I've been sold into slavery by my very own brothers. How can I trust God's plan for my life when it seems so unfair? But I've never been trained to be a king, and I've never fought a giant. I'm the youngest of my father's sons. How can I be the leader and save my people from the enemy? But I have no power or authority. How can I stand up for my people and save them? 
but I'm just a teenage girl. How can I raise and care for the savior of the world? But I've never been able to escape the shame of my past. How can Jesus know everything I've ever done and still offer his love, grace, and salvation? But I persecuted believers and, want, and wanted them to be imprisoned and even to the point of death. How can God use me to build his church? Moses, Abraham, Joseph, David, Esther, Mary, the woman at the well, Paul, I want to turn to Judges 6. Judges 6, 1. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to Midian seven years, and they oppressed Israel. Because of Midian, the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and the people of the east came and attacked them. They encamped against them and destroyed the produce of the land, even as far as Gaza. They left nothing for Israel to eat, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For the Midianites came with their cattle and their tents like a great swarm of locusts. They and their camels were without number, and they entered the land to lay waste to it. So Israel became poverty-stricken because of Midian, and the Israelites cried out to the Lord. Verse 7, When the Israelites cried out to him because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to them. He said to them, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you out of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. I rescued you from the power of Egypt and the I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites whose land you live in, but you did not obey me. The angel of the Lord came and he sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, valiant warrior. Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all his that our ancestors told us about? How often have we found our place, our, ourselves in that place? Why have you allowed this to happen, God? The Lord brought us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. He said to him, Please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look at my family. It's the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's family. Insert your own story there. Well, I'm just this. Well, I don't know how to do this. Why me? Verse 16. But I will be with you, the Lord said to him. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. With God, it is possible. Then he said to him, if I have found favor with you, give me a sign. The Lord is speaking to him, telling him, you're a valiant warrior. I'm going to use you. And Gideon, I love Gideon. Fine. Give me a sign that you are speaking with me. Please do not leave this place until I return you. Let me bring my gift and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon went and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from half a bushel of flour. He placed the meat in a basket and broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, 
take the meat with the unleavened bread, put it on this stone, and pour the broth on it. So he did that. The angel of the Lord extended the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire came up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his realized that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Oh no, Lord God, I have face. But the Lord said to him, Peace to you, don't be afraid, for you will not die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. It is still an Ophrah of the Abizrites today. On that very night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull and a second bull, seven years old, then tear down the altar of Baal that belongs to your father and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Build a well-constructed altar to the Lord your God on top of his mound. Take the second bull and offer it as burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. So Gideon took ten of his male servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was too afraid of his father's family and the men of the city to do it in the daytime, he did it at night. When the men of the city got up in the morning, they found Baal's altar torn down, built. They said to each other, who did this? After they made a thorough investigation, they said, Gideon. Son of Joash did it. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son, he must die, because he tore down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash said to who stood against him, Would you plead Baal's case for him? Would you save him? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead his own case, because someone tore down his altar. That day Gideon was called Jerubel, since Joash said, Let Baal contend with him because he tore down his altar. All the Midianites, Amalekites, and people of the east gathered together, crossed over the Jordan, and camped in the Jezreel Valley. The Spirit of the Lord enveloped Gideon, and he blew the ram's horn, and the Bezrites rallied again behind him. He sent messengers throughout all of Manasseh who rallied behind him. He also sent messengers throughout Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, who also came to meet him. Then Gideon said to God, if you will deliver Israel by me, as you said, he's asking for another sign. After everything that he just did with God's help, he's asking for another sign. Verse 37, I will put a wool fleece here on the threshing floor. If dew is only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, I will deliver Israel by me, as you said. So God's already told him what he's going to do, and he's still asking for a sign to prove Lost my place. Okay. 38. And that is what happened. When he got up early in the morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung dew out of it, filling a bowl with water. Gideon then said to God, Don't be angry with me. Let me speak one more time. Please allow me to make one more test with the fleece. Let it remain dry and the dew be all over the ground. So first, it was wet. Now he's asking for it to be dry. That night, God did as Gideon requested. Only the fleece was dry, and the dew was all over the ground. Now, I could go on and on with example after example from Scripture. The fathers, mothers, heroes of our faith had trouble speaking, trouble conceiving, Checkered pasts, lots, lots of family drama. They were too young, too old, too inexperienced. 
And by the world standards, they were unqualified. But God. He does not go by worldly standards. He is not limited by what we've done or by what was done to us. We serve a God that will work all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. We serve a God who will leave the 99 for the one to come and get you because he created you for a purpose. You are so much more than what you've done. You're more than what you haven't accomplished yet. You are not defined by your past. You are not defined by your mistakes. You are not what has been done to you. Your identity is not found in a diagnosis, nor is it found in what others think of you. So the next time that the enemy tries to convince you that you don't have what it takes to be the person God created you to be, you rebuke him in the mighty name of Yeshua. You reject and renounce his lies, his temptations, his accusations, and you replace them with the truth of God's word. See, some of us have allowed the enemy to tell us who we are. All he had to do was place a little bit of doubt. All that our fears justified. All he had to do was plan a lie that we believed. All he had to do was cause us to become offended and hold on to that offense and then allow a root of bitterness and anger to take place. And that's all the enemy had to do. Then he walked away. And at some point, you accepted the lie. And the enemy didn't have to do anything else. You took it from there. And now you live your life believing that God just doesn't see you. And he just doesn't care about you. And he's not going to use you. And that you must have been an accident. That is a lie. You are not an accident, and you were created by a God that loves you and created you for a purpose. He sees you, he cares for you, and he does not go by world standards in order to call you qualified. God doesn't call the people who are already qualified. He doesn't look at their resume and then make a decision on how he's going to use them. He qualifies and equips those he has called. I want to say that again. God doesn't call the people who are already qualified. He qualifies and equips those he has called. So I want us to stop and consider the things that may be hindering us from moving forward, consider if there are any lies that we have accepted. And then I want us to break free from those lies, from those doubts, and from those fears. Because God created you for a purpose. And Lydia and Ryan, if y'all could uh, join me up here, and then I'm going to pray us out.